Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of entrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm delighted. I'm joined by uh, Jesse Peters. He's the CEO of EcoFirma Farms, and he's a founding member of the Oregon Cannabis Association. How are you doing this afternoon, Jesse? Good, good. How are you doing, Tim? I'm, I'm all right, man. I'm, I'm th- as I said, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, but first, you know, I want to talk about you. You have an interesting background. You're a 22 year Marine Corps vet, 10 years as a professional firefighter. Um, how'd you end up from that, you know, those two sectors into the cannabis space? Uh, well, I mean, honestly, I didn't really come from those two sectors in the cannabis space. I've always been in the cannabis space and went into those two sectors in life. I, uh, so I was to an extent, I was born into this industry. Uh, my mom took the misdemeanor and my dad took the felony for the five pounds that were under my crib when they brought me home from the hospital. So, uh, that's where our established in 1974 comes from. Uh, it, it was just always a piece of my life. I've always, been a part of cannabis in a, you know, real small way. And then as I got older, you know, I just lived in both worlds. I I went to school, I went to college, I joined the Marine Corps, I got a job as a firefighter. uh, And I also was in the cannabis space doing cannabis things that most cannabis people have done for a very long time. And, you know, years ago, we started figuring out that it was going to be legal in our lifetime. And we needed to make a decision on which route we wanted to take with it and taking the route of developing a company and, and trying to participate heavily in the end of prohibition and still be a successful business was the route we chose. So how, so how long ago was it that you, that you started uh, EcoFirma? Uh, EcoFirma was registered as a company in, I want to say 2013 uh, we started EcoFirma as a brand back in about 2011, uh, 2010, actually, up in Seattle, when it just, you know, it was one of those things where you start going into dispensaries and you realize that it's still really raw. There's just random people coming through the door with Ziploc bags or sandwich bags or garbage bags full of cannabis. And to me, the only way to stand out there was to start to represent something. So we we decided, you know, we're going to create a business name and we're going to actually start giving test results and doing terpene profiles as soon as they came online and we were allowed to do with no requirements. But we wanted to be presentable and just have that leg up on the competition that I was facing in the dispensaries. And so as we did that and started getting really specific with strains and really specific with branding and trying to offer more to drive traffic to your dispensary, made things appropriate for us to to start to function like a business and to be able to earn that business of that dispensary. I mean, if you're going to turn it into a business, then you got to turn it into a business. So that's, that's what we did. Uh, one of the principles of your, of your farm is, is this idea of total carbon neutrality. So can, can you just describe to the listeners, you know, what that is first and, and why you decided to bring your farm in this direction and, and why it was important to you? Yes. So total carbon neutrality is the ability to say that we put absolutely no extra carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, Any CO2 emission, the power that we use creates CO2, recycling, garbage, uh, 
we want to create zero CO2. We we want to we want to leave the planet better than we found it. We want to leave our property better than we found it. We want to be neutral balance with how the planet should function. And so it started with uh, we looked into green energy and actually had the ability to take on 100% wind power, which totally blanked our our power for carbon neutral. So we we took the first 90% out right then. The ability to go carbon neutral, uh, we get we were I, as far as I can tell, the first company in Oregon to actually get an award from Portland General Electric as a cannabis company for our efforts. Um, we get fact sheets every year that show the equivalency of how many cars we've taken off the road and how many trees that we've planted. And uh, once we hit that, it's when it occurred to me, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be a hundred percent clean. So what else can we do? How do we get better? How do we, how do we tidy up that last 10%? And that last 10% is a big hurdle. You know, there's, there's a lot of pieces to go down that rabbit hole with like, you know, if we produce any garbage, where does that garbage go? And there's a there's a truck that shows up here that picks that garbage up that burns fuel. So how do we get rid of all of our garbage? How do we do only recycling? How do we get rid of if we use, you know, we use an electric forklift instead of a gas forklift that's charging off of our carbon neutral power? And I mean, I, I think you can rapidly see how fast that last percent is a Big, that last 10% is a big endeavor. And so we're, we're trying to bite it off in, in appropriate stages and chunks. But being able to get rid of our power was, was a big deal. The next step is that we're actually going to put a solar array up and start trying to feed back. So, so in addition to you know those couple of ways that you mentioned, what are some I guess more simpler ways that, that operators in this space can work to reduce their own carbon footprints? Uh, you know, well, I would say for one, look into green energy. That's that is by far the biggest. A lot of states have an option for you on your power bill that you can just call the phone number and ask, "Hey, I really want to look into green energy options," and that's a big step. Uh, and it doesn't cost that much more capital to be able to do it. Every company in every state is a little different, uh, and some have the option and some don't. Fortunately, here in Oregon, we have a great option. Uh, if you don't have that option, then you got to start looking towards all the little things. I mean, start small, uh, set up a really good recycling program, maybe some incentives for your employees, make it really easy to recycle, separating the glass, putting out containers, all the small pieces look into don't use bottled water. Uh, you know, make sure that if you do have people that bring in bottled water, that you have a recycling receptacle there for the bottles. Buy your staff water and put it in the facility. Buy them containers that they can carry their water in. Uh, you know, look around your office at the things that you're throwing away that you waste and see what could be replaced. And you can start that small and then just build on it. That's that's really uh it's really great to to hear that from somebody who who has a big operation and and is uh you know so active in eliminating the carbon footprint. I, I know that, you know, as California comes online, there's there's a lot of sort of chatter about, you know, the water use and the energy use in a, in a state that's already sort of strained uh, in that regard. Um, but I want I want to talk to you a bit about the 
uh, the the Oregon Cannabis Association, your role with that. Um, when did you realize that the time was right for a dedicated industry association? And and how difficult was it for you to get now? You have more than 100 businesses on board. Uh, you know, so really the credit for that realization goes to Amy Margolis. Amy Margolis uh, was an attorney in the space early on. I think we're approaching with cannabis. With the, she's been in this space for a very long time, but for the Cannabis Association, early on, three or four years ago, it occurred to Amy that we needed an association, that there were a lot of us out there that were still in that world of being very reclusive. You know, it's the world we came from. And so being that she knew all of us, since many of us used us, used her as our legal advice, she brought up to a group of about eight of us that we should all come together as the Cannabis Association. And um, she actually had reached out to Matt and Megan Wallstatter, who own a dispensary called Pure Green here in Oregon. And Matt and Megan, I was also a dispensary that we marketed to. And so they approached me and said, hey, we're, we're putting together this group. And at the time, we didn't really know what it was. It was just, let's put eight of us in a room and and nine of us and 12 of us and and let's let's talk and i'm not gonna lie to you uh there's a lot of ego that comes out in those first talks uh a lot of posturing that was really interesting there was uh, some really entertaining conversations that went down and then everybody really fast got comfortable with each other and you can start to see a divide of there's there's staunch competitors that view everyone as their competition and then there's those of us that are in cooperation. Uh, and we're stronger as a whole, especially as such a young industry that does not have those heavy corporate influences quite yet. Um, where if we band together, we might be able to sustain and, and create rules and create an industry where we do have staunch pesticide regulation and staunch mitigation for things like water usage and things like power usage and we can set up an industry that doesn't look as much like, like our food industry. Uh, and as we kind of went down that path, we looked towards legislation and how do we, how do we lobby for free market space so that small businesses can attempt to thrive? How do we, how do we try to make sure the medical program doesn't die? And you start realizing that as the association grows and more and more members join, that you have to start separating things out. You form a board and you, you bring on a separate wing that is just a political action committee and slowly but surely it's been morphing and growing into a, at least here in Oregon, into a movement that I, I hope to see progress throughout the country. So when you mentioned, you mentioned the lobby, you mentioned uh, the, the Oregon, uh, the cannabis pack, the, the political action committee. Um, when did you decide the time was right for that project? Uh, and, you know, once again, definitely not me deciding. Uh, this was a, a, a that that room, that group of eight that turned to twelve, that turned to fifty, uh, and Amy Margolis and all of the members within it, all of us discussing. You know, the fact that we should go to D.C. and and lobby for things like for the big ticket items like banking reform and tax reform. You know, there's a lot of pieces to bite off here. There's a lot of prohibition. There are people still going to prison for long periods of time. How do we, in a state where we can 
dedicate some of our resources financially into a lobbying effort to help states that still need to get past that, how do we how do we participate? How do we use those resources uh, in a way that benefits the industry as a whole throughout the country? And and, and that's really where it was born from. And, and we've just kind of been going from there. I mean, winging it, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Are you guys seeing donations from companies outside of the cannabis industry with regard to the pack yet? Not quite. We're, we're getting just a little bit here and there. From We're starting to see ancillary companies come in. And we're just starting to reach out to those ancillary companies because, to be honest, it takes a lot of revenue being generated in a legal market before you start to see companies that um, supply CO2 or make the equipment that goes into extraction equipment that sees a large enough market share that they are willing to put some capital into it to help support that revenue stream for their company. And it needs to obviously hit a specific number for their ROI to be justified. And once again, in a legal state, as you see these things come online and that revenue stream becomes appropriate, you kind of need a group to hit them up. Otherwise, they, they'll they skate along and us as cannabis companies will continue to fund our own events to try to get our names out there until we get to a point to where – it is not financially responsible as a company for me to advertise to a bunch of other companies in my same space that already know who I am. Why don't we reach out to companies that make nutrients or companies that make lights, Gavita, Advanced Nutrients, BioBiz, start reaching out to them that are still in the space but in a larger capacity, and then slowly but surely we reach beyond that into companies that provide signage and banners or companies that do printing or companies that provide uh, – companies that provide CO2 or gases to the industry. And I think that from there, you can start to span wider and wider to try to bring that capital in to support our cause. And and what's what's your relationship like with the lawmakers in your state specifically? I mean, it's been good. Uh, the hardest part I would say is for the lawmakers and for us is that they have a very – fractionated voice coming at them from many different associations, many different organizations, many of their constituents that all have their own pieces that they want. And of course, outside of that, you've got some very self-motivated interest groups that can put capital into the space and lobby for their own specific purpose. And it, it gets, if you're a legislator, it gets murky. If you're a rulemaker, it gets murky because who's, who's got a, Who's got a hidden agenda? What agenda do I want to follow? What benefits my constituents the best? And for us, fortunately, here in Oregon, um, we've got lawmakers that are, for the most part, really supportive of this industry, but they're also very new to it. And so, you know, I would say to California and other states as they come online, you're going to see a lot of rules that don't make sense. And um, my advice is definitely. Don't attack your legislator. You want to work with them because they want to work with you. It's it's just a really difficult job. But when the rules first come online, comprehend that they're going to be the hardest, most likely that they'll ever be because they've got to cast a wide net. And then slowly but surely, a good organization with a, with a good mission statement can slowly start to narrow that reach and make legislation and help work with legislators to make rules that are beneficial to companies and allow for a thriving market. 
I want to talk to you a bit more about your your lobby efforts in D.C., but before we do that, we got to take a break. This is the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfall. If you are looking for a job in the rapidly growing and highly competitive cannabis industry, Gontrepreneur.com is the place to look. Visit the Gontrepreneur job board today to browse current openings with cannabis companies throughout the United States, from entry-level bud tender positions to executive-level career opportunities. You can also create a profile and upload your resume to be discovered by cannabis recruiters. Visit our job board at jobs.gontrepreneur.com to create your profile today. If you are a business owner, you can post your job openings for as little as $25 on our job board to reach the largest and most engaged audience of cannabis professionals on the web. Companies who are listed in the Gontrepreneur Business Directory are eligible for free job listings. If you are already signed up, contact us today via the website or send us an email at grow at to activate your unique coupon. Hey, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, TG Brandfault, here with Jesse Peters, CEO of EcoFirma Farms. Um, so in June, members of the OCA went to lobby in D.C. and uh, came away with four takeaways. The Trump administration has bigger fish, fish to fry. Uh, GOP freshmen realized that the war on drugs is lost uh, and the industry needed more representation from both lawmakers and from operators. And Congress is, quote, uh, just blowing smoke, unquote, when it comes to diversion of product. It's not just blowing smoke, I'm sorry. When it comes to diversion of product and recognizing the benefits of a taxed and regulated industry, um, it's a lot of stuff that you guys sort of sort of came back with in your sort of report. What's your game plan for addressing some of these issues? And are operators in your state actively prepping for any sort of federal crackdown? You know um – to answer the last part, prepping for a federal crackdown, I mean, to be honest, until it's federally deregulated, descheduled, uh, you, you should always be prepping for a crackdown. You never you never really know. But I think those of us that have been in this space a long time comprehend that it's the risk of doing business. And there's benefit to it as well. That risk keeps a lot of the big corporation out and gives us the opportunity to get a head start, to set up and thrive. So if you're risk adverse, this isn't the space for you. Uh, that being said, I mean, to be prepared for a crackdown it is, is nothing more than to say, uh, I comprehend that someone might kick my door in tomorrow. But other than that, uh, the, uh, on the larger scale, it's like shooting a BB gun at a freight train. So at this stage, and especially with California coming online, it, it's not at the forefront of our concern. Uh, when it comes to kind of the large agenda facing at least the OCA at this stage in the game, looking towards Capitol Hill, you know, <clears throat> there's, there's, there's good and bad with it. Uh, this new administration is definitely not our friend. Jeff Sessions has been extremely vocal about his intent over the years. Uh, we could go really far down the rabbit hole politically with this if we wanted to, but on the optimistic side, there is there is a grumbling here that requires action from our representatives in the Senate and in the House. Uh, you know, it was really nice for the eight years of Obama to pretty much feel like, you know, we're we're status quo. We don't have to really worry. But on the same hand, we were at the bottom of their agenda list. Now that we have an administration that has come out to basically actively 
pursue uh, negative regulation in our realm, it is forcing a lot of our congressional leaders to stand up and start actually making laws to prevent that. So in the boomerang effect with this administration, there's potential for us to still get a little benefit there. Uh, it, it's definitely not a reason to stop fighting. It's by far not a reason to stick your head in the sand. Uh, now's the time that in a country where more Americans approve of cannabis than apple pie, we've got the numbers behind us. We just need to get that voice directed towards our leadership because the midterms are coming and uh, there are a lot of people that are spooked for their jobs, so they're listening. Uh, it's on us to take advantage of that. So, so let me ask you this. What is stopping the pro I mean, I mean what what is the driving force behind the pro prohibitionists in your sort of experience as somebody who is who has went to DC who has lobbied who has you know these military ties you know what is what what is what is the issue here like like what are you what is your sense about what is stopping them from just you know allowing it to become legal in their state or or, or pressing for you know federal deschedulization or or uh, reschedulization. I, I'm a I'm a deschedule guy, but but what is your sense about all this? Yeah, uh, I mean I'm a deschedule guy as well by far. Uh, you know, honestly, I think for me it's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, you know, when we go all the way down to things at the county level, when we go to a county meeting to to actively pursue things like processing or extraction on EFU land. When you show up, you've got two or three or five people from the cannabis industry that are trying to speak in an educated manner about how the revenue and the tax model and the regulation can benefit the society. And then you've got 50 anti-cannabis people who tend to be in more of a retired age of life and have the time to come down to this and print banners and print signs and be very loud and lobby very heavily against the cannabis, against any cannabis uh, descheduling or against beneficial regulation. And that, you know, if you're sitting there as a councilman or as a congressman and you've had 300 phone calls against and three phone calls for it seems to you as though this is not as popular issue as you think. Well, the reason you only get three phone calls for is because most of us are working to build a business and don't have the time to attack this from every angle. I think it's a perception issue. Honestly, it's a perception at the legislative level where you have a louder voice from a smaller group, and that changes your perception of, of what is really going on in the country. So, and you mentioned, you know, a louder voice from a smaller group. I want to talk to you quickly about some of these, these veterans access issues. You're a veteran yourself. Um, you know, the, uh, the VFW has come out and they have supported medical cannabis access for veterans in, uh, there's not a legal state that a veteran can walk into their VA, even if it's legal in their state and say, Hey, we need to explore medical cannabis for my chronic pain, my PTSD, what have you. Um, can, can you tell me a bit more about, uh, from, from a veteran's point of view, how important uh, this issue is or is going to become uh, 
you know, as the market matures and as we get more research? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it is a tough nut to crack. Uh, and it's also to me, one of the most ridiculous arguments out there. Uh, you've got groups like grow for vets and weed for warriors that, that are really working extremely hard on these issues. Uh, the fact that you can go out and be shot at for your country, that you can come home a different human being, and yet you're not responsible enough to consume cannabis, yet uh, you can become uh, addicted to a host of medications that are freely given out it is ridiculous. It's a, it's, a, it's a conversation that shouldn't even be a question. And it's a no vote out of a congressman or a representative that should be staunchly, it, it should be, how do I say that? It should be looked at very seriously because it's not an issue that should be swept under the rug or pushed off to the side. Uh, that being said, medical research is no matter what we do, obviously as this industry grows, medical research is gonna grow with it. In what direction? I mean, is Pfizer looking for their next big money maker? Uh, do you wanna go down the rabbit hole of conspiracy and addiction and how do we how do we manipulate that as a drug company for profit? I mean, I, I think everybody has a statement they can make there. I, I think it's the base issue. I think it's really easy to cloud and I think it's the base issue. There are veterans that need access or prefer access to cannabis rather than access to narcotics or antidepressants. Uh, there is absolutely no reason why that should be denied whatsoever. End of story. Everything else is just noise. Oh, I it's, it's, you're, you're very passionate about, about when you when you speak about that, um, and and I really appreciate your candor in addressing uh, that issue. Uh, I want to talk to you a bit more about uh, Oregon, uh, some new rules that took effect there. But before we do that, we got to take a break. This is the Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of cannabis, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gontrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gontrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, 
you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Welcome back to the gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, TG Brandfault, here with Jesse Peter, CEO of Ecofirma Farms and one of the founding members of the Oregon Cannabis Association. So in Oregon, you guys uh, face rule changes all of the time. Uh, how does your company deal with this evolving uh, regulatory structure? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I would I would advise anyone who's who's coming into a recreational market or even coming into a medical market, you need to get very seriously involved with the legislature and the rulemaking authority. Start making friends. Start being well known because you're going to see a system get set up and they're going to create rules for the entire year leading up to it, like California has been doing. And then it's going to come online and all of those complaints from the city, from the municipal, from the county, from the state, from the testing labs, all those lobby groups, all those special interest groups, they're all going to jump in and they're going to want to change rules. And to be honest with you, sometimes those rules wind up going backwards. And we've dealt with it here where we've had testing regulation come in and go in a direction that made testing so difficult that it coffin nailed our industry for about four months. And then you see the legislature realize that and the rulemaking authority realize that, and then they come back and change them again. And the hard part about that is those rule changes for small businesses mean you have to throw away $25,000 worth of packaging because you had it made for one set of rules and now it's made for another set of rules. You have to change your strategy for your lean flow at your facility. You need to add $50,000 worth of security system. It's an ongoing methodology to refine rules. And as I said, it's the worst it is when it comes online and it's only gonna get better, but that graph is not linear. That graph goes up and down. And as that regulation gets easier, there are peaks and valleys there that make things better or worse as you go. And if you are not there advocating appropriately with support, your your life is going to be very difficult. Are things stabilizing uh, as far as regulations go? They are actually. You know, it's it's uh, <clears throat> we've kind of reached a point right now where we've hit regulation that everyone can live with for now, and it's almost like a regulatory exhaustion where you get to a certain point where everyone from the legislature to the governing bodies to the companies say, okay, give me five minutes to just operate as we are and let's start, let's reevaluate and let's attack some of these small issues first and just let's let's make this a little easier. The the constant ebb and flow on large scale is exhausting. And so we have hit a, a set of regulation that I that we can for the most part, live with for just a minute before we come back at it and try to make it better again. And the, some of the hardest parts are states that have medical and recreational programs because the medical programs take a real heavy beating. And for some of those issues, 
it's understandable for the state. They they have a new administration. They need to meet coal memorandum regulation. They need to be able to show to the attorney general that they are putting forth rules to help divert or to help the diversion of cannabis out of state so that they can keep their rec program moving and keep the industry moving. Conversely, you need to work in a system that still benefits patients and doesn't block them out from the medication that they have lived on for so long and the producers that are good players acting within that regulation appropriately to take care of those patients. It's a, it's a very, they are very muddy waters and it is a very slippery slope and dealing with this administration within that is extremely difficult. So like I said, trying to think of all these issues in the big picture for the greater good of the industry, medical and rec, is going to suit you best with a really well-formulated plan of how to address these issues. Don't leave it in the hands of your legislators to figure it out because they just, they're not from this space. They don't know. They need your help, but they need it in a in a very articulate, well-thought-out manner that addresses those issues. And we're the ones that know that. So help them. So I, I want to move, move on a bit. Uh, I, I watched your talk talk in April. Um, at the, during that, you sort of pleaded with your audience to get off of social media if you're in the cannabis space. Um, personally, you know, I'm a, I'm a reporter in the space. Uh, my Facebook is private guarded. I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. Uh, and people shout, shout at me about my brand or whatever. Uh, is this what you're advocating for people to just get off of these social media platforms? Or are you more saying hire someone to manage your social media so you can focus on your business? Um, so a little bit of both. So, yes, as a business, <clears throat> do not. You, social media is your friend. Definitely, if you can afford it and, and even for your own mental health, hire someone to handle your social media and engage with it appropriately. But it's, it's kind of that adage. If you do an article, don't go read the comments. Like, you, you got to stay away from it. And, you know, it's, it's hard when you're a small, struggling business to then jump onto Facebook and Instagram and you see all the other companies that are doing their marketing on social media, and it makes you feel very small. And it makes you feel like... I'm not making it. I'm not there. I'm not progressing. And, and it can get really consuming. I mean, there's proven fact for serotonin and social media and instant gratification and dopamine. You then add in your business structure, your personal business structure, and you're watching these other companies that are that are touting to be what they want to be, that they're living their company on social media the way a lot of people live their life on social media. It's exhausting. Eyes on your own paper. You know, social media is great for advertising and you need to use it appropriately, but do not let it consume you or depress you as you move forward and work to build a business because because it'll do exactly that. So in, in your state, is do you guys have a lot of advertising options? I know in, you know, in lots of medical states, there's no advertising such as, you know, New York. Um, and, you know, so so and I know for a lot of people, that's that's all they have really is, is social media, um, Internet ad buys. Uh, do you guys have a lot of these sort of more traditional options in, in Oregon? 
Uh, we do. We're we're allowed print ad. We're allowed billboards. Um, you do you know, find these effective the traditional ways? Uh, to an extent, yes. The the ROI is a little difficult to track right now in some aspects. So some of it is is just more brand recognition and your marketing strategy for how well you want that brand recognition. But it's twofold. You need the brand recognition for the B two B, but you need the brand recognition for the B2C so the C goes into the dispensaries and asks specifically for your product. And, and in a market that is as young as the market we're in, that, that is a really difficult thing to track. Uh, you know, the most success in small market marketing, uh, like, like the cannabis industry, uh, especially if you're a smaller company, is that guerrilla marketing. That person-to-person, on-the-ground, sticker placement on the uh, drive-through at Taco Bell, you know, the, the giving away of stickers in the right scenarios. There's there's a million guerrilla marketing tactics you can use that are extremely inexpensive that help get your name out there. And at the end of the day, the reality of it is it's a lot of work. It's a lot of creative time and a lot of work, and you just got to put your head down and get to it if you want your name out there, and that's all there is to it. I, I, lo- I, I love the idea of guerrilla marketing. I, I saw a lot of that actually in Michigan where they had a gray market and uh, very limited in terms of, you know, the businesses, the dispensaries weren't even licensed. But when I went to Cannabis Cup, uh, they were, you know, I mean, they were just handing out stickers left and right. And then a couple of days later, I see those same stickers all over Detroit. And it wasn't for dispensaries. It was for brands, to your point. Um, what is next for EcoFirma? Um you know, you, you guys are, you, you, you've been doing this since 1976, <laughs> you know, what, what, what's next for you guys? Uh, so yeah. Uh, and, and making sure that everything's just clear out there. 74 is the year I was born. So it's, it just kind of goes more around the anecdotal story. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for a very long time, but, uh, but not since I was a baby. Uh, but, you know, I just don't want to mislead anybody. Uh, what's next for us? Um, you know, just like everybody else in this space, expansion. You know, we are we want to go down that full, large-scale vertical integration track. We want to coordinate and bring together the companies that are the best of the best. We want to potentially consolidate with those that make really good partners here and in other states uh, that – maybe need a little help uh, and maybe they're the right player. You know, there's a, there's an unknown quantity, a large unknown quantity of businesses out there that, that I think probably are really good operators, but no one has heard of and, and may not if they don't get the right boost. And so, you know, we're going to, we're going to look down the track of those opportunities to, to build as a brand, to build as a company. Um, we're bi-coastal now. We're here. We're in Maine. Uh, we want to span out to California. We want to span out to Nevada, Arizona. We have a lot of opportunities on our very short horizon that we're looking at. I mean, we, we like everyone else, we want to we make a real big dent. We want to be really well-known uh, on a national level. And I, I think it's in a it's an appropriate goal and we want to do it. We want to do it right. We want to be 
clean. We want to be good partners. We want to be good neighbors. We want to be good humans. Uh, you know, I, uh, I had a good friend from TJ Gardens say to me one day on a plane, I don't want a hundred million dollars. I want to make a hundred millionaires. And, uh, I like that theory. I, I want to do that. So what's your, what's your advice for, for entrepreneurs, people who might not be in this space yet, or, or just, you know, people who are looking to make their own dent? Run. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, this is a great space to be in. It is an extremely difficult space to be in. Do not come into this lighthearted. Do not come into this halfway. Do not come into this thinking that uh, you're going to jump up out of nowhere and take four plants in your basement or, uh, you know, uh, a couple of lights and just go find someone to hand you a million dollars. This is a really, really tough space. And if you're going to come into it, you need to come into it full bore guns blazing and ready to work. Long days, long hours, very little vacation it's, it's hard work, but it's gratifying work because as you expand, you get to bring people into your fold and, and employ people and partner with people that, uh, that their, their goals, their life, their career hinges on your company's success. And it's, it's really gratifying to be able to build a really big, well-functioning team and, and work within that space. So if you're, if you are risk adverse uh, lighthearted or not ready to work that hard, this might not be the space for you. And um, if you are and you are just starting out or you've been doing this a while but you're ready to come at it, don't hold back. You need to come at this full force. That would definitely be my advice. That's really, really great advice. And I hear that echoed a lot where um, – you know, a lot of people enter the space thinking they're going to be a millionaire in six months. And, you know, that's just not the case. Uh, so, you know, you've, you've echoed what I've been hearing, you know, as a guy who's never grown a plant in his life uh, from, from other guests and, and other interviews I've done. Uh, where can people find out more about you, more about your company? Uh, you can find us, obviously, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Ecoferma Farms. Uh, you can find us on our website at ecofermafarms.com. Um, you obviously can find information on the Oregon Cannabis Association at theoregoncannabisassociation.org. We're also members of the Craft Cannabis Alliance. Uh, you can reach us through any of those avenues. You can email us at, eco, at info at ecofermafarms.com, and uh, you can listen to our podcast and Search us on the Googler. Well, Jesse, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, I know you're a super, super busy guy, and this has really been a fun conversation. Um, that that you have, you have a lot of experience that that I haven't had on the show before. So, so I really appreciate you taking the time. No, I greatly appreciate uh, you giving me the time. Uh, really respect what you guys do out there. Uh, appreciate it, Tim. You can find more episodes of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gondrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gondrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gondrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault. Brandfault.